Remember how magical childhood was? I'm not saying happy or idyllic, mind you. I'm just saying magical. Like even unhappy children can escape into their imaginations or dreams and create a world different from their own. Many kids, whether they're happy or not, have imaginary friends. Someone who loves them no matter what. Someone who knows them better than anyone else. Someone they can tell all their secrets to who would never judge them. But then you get older and you learn you're not really allowed to have that kind of imagination anymore. The older we get, the less encouraged we are to have a rich fantasy life. If you do, someone is bound to tell you you have some kind of disorder, and there's a pill for that. At the very least, they'll tell you to come down from the clouds and join the real world. You can't have imaginary friends because real ones are counting on you. You have to be serious and adult and do serious adult things. But what if there were a socially acceptable way for you, adult stranger, to have an imaginary friend? Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I never had an imaginary friend, possibly because I have trouble letting my mind go to illogical places. I think that's why I can't have sexual fantasies, why I don't have hallucinations on drugs, and why I've never seen a ghost, either. Like, my brain just goes, nope, that's illogical, and shuts the whole thing down. Maybe that's why my dreams are so weird. My subconscious can finally go to town without being censored. The people in today's episode, on the other hand, claim to have harnessed their power of imagination to such levels that they have manifested whole other beings who may live, for the most part, in their own imaginations, but who are, nonetheless, very real. But good news, stranger, now you too can have an imaginary friend without being sent directly to the psych ward. But you can't call it an imaginary friend. And you have to be very careful about the way you interact with it. Because if you're not careful, that friend you've conjured will find a way to cross the line from fantasy land into the real world, and you may not be able to stop it. They've been with me 20 months. Their names are Twee, Dash, and Scoots. They are three anthropomorphic ponies about a foot high. Cogito Burgorson. I think, therefore I am. <laughs> I am not totally independent, though. I have to use my whole brain power to think, and we occasionally get jammed when we're trying to think at once. I can't be sure, but I know that I exist. Maybe I'm only an illusion, a mistake in his brain. No one will ever know, but we have to believe. That first quote is from Tulpamancer Nick Kingston, a game designer from England. The last two are from two Tulpas directly. Tulpas? Tulpamancer? What fresh hell is this, I hear you cry out. And listen, I don't know how many times I have to say this, but please stop crying out. One, I can't hear you, and two, I'm getting there. Have an edible and relax. Let this story just happen to you. Tulpa is what an imaginary friend for adults is called. A tulpamancer, as I'm sure you've guessed, is the tulpa's conjurer. But don't call a tulpa an imaginary friend to a tulpamancer unless you want to get a long lecture about tulpamancing and the difference between a kid playing make-believe with a 
half dolphin, half elephant, half cotton candy animal named Bing Bong, and the very real practice of conjuring a separate being with its own story, mind, ideas, history, and purpose, but who, for the most part, only exists inside the Tulpamancer's head. According to the website somatosphere.net, a tulpa is an imaginary companion who has reached full sentience. And tulpas.info tells us, quote, a tulpa is an entity created in the mind, acting independently of and parallel to your own consciousness. They are able to think and they have their own free will, emotions, and memories. In short, a tulpa is like a sentient person living in your head, separate from you. It's currently unproven whether or not tulpas are truly sentient, but in this community, we treat them as such. It takes time for a tulpa to develop a convincing and complex personality. As they grow older, your attention and their life experiences will shape them into a person with their own hopes, dreams, and beliefs. End quote. Although, as we have already learned, a tulpa doesn't necessarily have to be a person. It can be an anthropomorphic pony, or really anything your mind can summon up. According to tulpas.info, quote, Pretty much every tulpa has a form, an imaginary body they identify with. This form can be anything from a regular human being to a cartoon character, an animal, or anything else you can imagine. Of course, regardless of their form, they still have a human mind, end quote. And somatosphere.net tells us, quote, Many are imagined within a continuum of humanoid variations with gender-fluid, gender-neutral, or pan-ethnic traits. Fandom culture drawn from fantasy-oriented genres also frequently prompts the forcing of non-human tulpas such as elves, dragons, or imaginary creatures. End quote. Kind of like Pokemon. It's particularly interesting, to me at least, that Tulpamancers are overwhelmingly middle to upper class white men from about 14 to 34. This, according to Samuel Viesier, a McGill University anthropologist and psychosocial clinician who conducted a survey, albeit a very small survey, of only 141 participants who consider themselves Tulpamancers. Of those 141 people, only 9 identified as non-white and 75% were male. The most common occupation among tulpamancers was in the IT field. Listen, I don't mean to stereotype, but I'm willing to bet this is roughly the same demographic of people who play Dungeons & Dragons, at least before Stranger Things made it cool, the kind who do LARPing and went dressed as Gandalf to the opening night of the Lord of the Rings movies. The first order of business for a tulpamancer is to conjure up the world in which your tulpa will live. It's not just going to float in nothingness, unless, I suppose, the world you conjure for it is indeed nothingness. The world created for a tulpa is called a wonderland and can be whatever you want it to be. You want your tulpa to live in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory? You got it. You want it to live inside a rainbow bubble floating on a sea of fairy juice? As long as you can visualize what fairy juice is, it's yours. You want it to live on the corner of 37th and 7th? Gross, but if that's what you want. As Tulpamancer L told Nathan Thompson at Vice, My Wonderland is a little forest grove. 
I'd imagine myself there hanging out with my tulpa and we'd talk or we'd go explore. Basically the same stuff you do with a friend in real life. Except with your tulpa, you don't even have to get dressed or get out of bed. You know, this is sounding more and more appealing. There are a few ways you can communicate with your tulpa. You can use what the community refers to as mind voice, which is basically telepathy. But instead of sending your thoughts in your mind to someone else's mind, you're sending your thoughts from your mind into your own mind into your tulpa's mind. It's like conception, but awake and involving Pokemon, basically. Another way to communicate with your tulpa is through feelings. Basically, your tulpa makes you feel some kind of way that you know isn't your type of way. According to tulpas.info, quote, a clearer way of sensing your tulpa before you can communicate with them directly is through emotional responses, which can be described as feeling emotions that aren't your own. You may be able to notice easily when your tulpa is very happy or sad or feels strongly about something in any way, end quote. I don't know how feeling someone else's feelings is clearer than using your words. Like, sure, you may understand that your tulpa feels angry, but then what? Are you supposed to then project a feeling of concern, but also a feeling of, why are you angry? And then they send back a feeling of, I hate this wonderland you've created for me, and you have to send back a feeling of, why didn't you tell me this before? And the tulpa has to send a feeling of, I have trouble communicating? This seems terribly inefficient. You can also communicate with your tulpa through something called imposition, as if that last method wasn't enough of an imposition. With this method, you basically send your tulpa out into the real world and have a chit-chat. Basically, you talk to a hallucination. Honestly, the description of this seems to have less to do with how one communicates and more to do with where one communicates. I suppose we have to assume that with an imposition, the hallucinated tulpa can use its own voice to speak. We've seen this form of communicating with a tulpa in movies like Fight Club, Black Swan, and Donnie Darko. But the boss level of communicating is by switching which is not, in this instance, a queer sex term. In tulpa's land, switching is where you literally switch consciousness with your tulpa. So now you, Bob, have your tulpa's consciousness and your tulpa has Bob's consciousness. This all takes place during a meditative-like state. Basically, you sit there and imagine a wonderland and then you imagine a companion and eventually one forms and then you get to talk to it and or it body snatches you. One would think that if someone went to their mental health practitioner and told them there's a one-foot-high anthropomorphic pony living in my head and I talk to it, and actually there's three of them, I'm willing to bet a battery of tests to determine what kind of schizophrenia that person had would be ordered too sweet, and medicine would be prescribed to quiet the voices. Like I said, we grown-ups are not really allowed to have this kind of imagination. But Viesier believes that for tulpamancers who do have schizophrenia, the voices, their tulpas, could be the very thing keeping them from succumbing to their disorder. He told Thompson at Vice, 
Topamancy could have radical implications for the treatment of schizophrenia and other malignant psychosis. In the age of Big Pharma and the marketing of madness, Topa therapy could offer a free alternative that doesn't require institutionalization and social isolation. Viesier believes that embracing, rather than quieting the voices, can help a person form positive associations with their tulpas. Rather than viewing it as an intruder or antagonist, can help them gain some control over their illness. In his study, he found that participants' overall happiness improved when they associated the voices with tulpamancy rather than with illness. A tulpamancer named Sam told Thompson, I have been suffering from depression and suicidal thoughts for a decade now. My tulpa would try and attack my anxiety and even forcefully possess my hands to keep me from harming myself with a knife. Another tulpamancer said, My schizophrenia manifested itself by having many thoughts and ideas all conflicting and shouting at me. Turning them into tulpas gave those thoughts a face and allowed them to be sorted out in a way that made sense. It's like that old gem about how naming your fears can take away their power. Most tulpas are friendly, it seems, like the three tiny ponies. They can ease stress, make someone feel less alone, or, I would imagine, make someone feel wanted. But not all tulpamancers have their host's best interests at heart. Take, for example, the monk conjured by Alexandra David Niel. Niel was, for better or worse, the first European woman ever to visit Lhasa, Tibet. Born in the mid to late 1800s, she lived more than 100 years and had quite the resume to show for it. According to a piece in The Guardian by Marcel Thoreau, Niel was, quote, a runaway, an anarchist, an opera singer, a Buddhist scholar, a pioneering traveler, and a prolific author. She helped run a casino in Tunis, sang at the Hanoi Opera House, and studied Buddhist texts at the British Museum. In middle age, she married a wealthy Frenchman, Philippe Niel de Saint-Sauveur, whom she promptly abandoned to spend 14 years traveling around India, Tibet, China, Nepal, Korea, Mongolia, and Japan, end quote. Hashtag life goals. In Tibet, Niel claimed she witnessed tulpas for herself. According to Tibetan occultists, once a tulpa has been fully actualized within its host's mind, it frees itself from those confines and lives a completely separate life from its creator. According to Thoreau, quote, sometimes the phantom becomes a rebellious son, and one hears of uncanny struggles that have taken place between magicians and their creatures, the former being severely hurt or even killed by the latter. Tibetan magicians also relate cases in which the tulpa is sent to fulfill a mission, but does not come back and pursues its pre-regrenations as a half-conscious, dangerously mischievous puppet. The same thing, it is said, may happen when the maker of the tulpa dies before having dissolved it. Yet, as a rule, the phantom either disappears suddenly at the death of the magician or gradually vanishes like a body that perishes for want of food." End quote. Niel, ever the intrepid adventurer, decided she needed to experience a tulpa for herself and decided the figure would be a monk because she imagined a, quote, short, fat, innocent, and jolly, end quote, monk would be less influential on her than other deities. 
though why she felt her tulpa needed to be a religious figure at all, I'm not sure. Once she'd decided on the form her tulpa would take, Niel secluded herself away. After a few months, the phantom monk was formed. His form grew gradually fixed and lifelike looking. He became a kind of guest, living in my apartment. I then broke my seclusion and started for a tour with my servants and tents. The monk included himself in the party. Though I lived in an open riding on horseback for miles each day, the illusion persisted. I saw the fat trappa. Now and then it was not necessary for me to think of him to make him appear. The phantom performed various actions of the kind that are natural to travelers and that I had not commanded. For instance, he walked, stopped, looked around him. The illusion was mostly visual, but sometimes I felt as if a robe was lightly rubbing against me, and once a hand seemed to touch my shoulder. But after a time, the monk, it seems, lost some weight and went from jolly and innocent to malignant and sly. He became, she wrote, more troublesome and bold. In brief, he escaped my control. Niel claimed that other people could see the monk. She wrote, There is nothing strange in the fact that I may have created my own hallucination. The interesting point is that in these cases of materialization, others see the thought forms that have been created. Tibetans disagree in their explanations of such phenomena. Some think a material form is really brought into being. Others consider the apparition as a mere case of suggestion. The creator's thought impressing others and causing them to see what he himself sees. But Neil had places to go and shit to do and did not want this little dude, innocent or malignant, hanging around and spent a grueling six months trying and finally succeeding to get rid of him. She wrote... I ought to have let the phenomenon follow its course, but the presence of that unwanted companion began to prove trying to my nerves. It turned into a day nightmare. Moreover, I was beginning to plan my journey to Lhasa and needed a quiet brain, devoid of other preoccupations. So I decided to dissolve the phantom. I succeeded, but only after six months of hard struggle. My mind creature was a tenacious of life. It turns out Niel's life was so incredible that this part of it isn't really included in recountings of her biography. Imagine being so interesting that having conjured a being into existence with only your mind is really just sort of a footnote. She was so badass, in fact, that I'm going to devote an entire bonus episode to her badassery. Alexandra David Neal, a.k.a. my new favorite person, was the one to introduce the term and concept of tulpa to the West in her 1929 book, Magic and Mystery in Tibet. Tulpa is a westernized version of the Tibetan word for emanations. The concept came just in time to fit in nicely with the burgeoning esoteric and theologist movement in the West. Somewhere along the way, as the concept of tulpas was absorbed into the Western world, it got conflated with a Buddhist term describing one of the three bodies of Buddha. According to a 2015 piece in Nova Religio, the Journal of Alternative and Emergent Religions by Natasha L. Miklas and Joseph P. Laycock, titled Tracking the Tulpa, 
quote, it seems likely that the tulpa of contemporary paranormal discourse originated with 19th century Western esoterics attributed to Tibetan Buddhism by early 20th century adventurers and rediscovered by modern paranormal lore as a Tibetan concept, end quote. Regardless of its origin, the concept of tulpas was embraced by a few prominent American occultists and brought more into the mainstream. The first American author generally credited with introducing the concept to wider audiences was John Keel, author of The Mothman Prophecies. In that book, Keel recounts the story of an alleged haunting in a Greenwich Village residence, which had been previously owned by Walter Gibson, the man who wrote the pulp novel series The Shadow. Keel insinuates that the occupants were seeing a tulpa created by Gibson because the figure they saw looked an awful lot like, well, the shadow. Keel wrote, quote, The Tibetans believe the advanced human minds can manipulate these invisible energies into visible forms called tulpas or thought projections, end quote. And then our old favorite demonologists, Ed and Lorraine Warren, jumped on the tulpas train, likely because they thought it was headed to Cashtown. Ed had a Halloween mask in his collection of occult objects and claimed that it could be used in black magic rituals to create, quote, a physical manifestation of a tulpa, end quote. It's hard to know if he actually thought this was how it worked or he just decided it was because he knew no one could Google it and chances were most people didn't have a copy of Alexandra David Neal's book lying around to prove him wrong. I'm gonna go with the latter. The modern tulpas community, however, seems to have gone back to the original roots of the concept. According to tulpas.info, quote, the usual reason for creating a tulpa is having them around for companionship. You should be focused on nurturing and teaching your tulpa and allowing them to grow as a person with you, while at the same time you learn about yourself and grow as a person in turn. It takes time and effort to make a tulpa into a self-sufficient and balanced individual, and their independence and personality will grow and flourish over time, like any regular human beings. Creating a tulpa means committing to raising and living with another person, and this is a lifelong commitment, not one that ends when your tulpa starts speaking." End quote. I believe some people could use this reminder in regards to raising actual human beings. The concept and community of tulpas and tulpamancers began to be revitalized around 2009 on internet discussion boards like Reddit and 4chan. It seems it started as just a discussion about a paranormal phenomenon, but people claimed to be trying it out IRL and creating their very own tulpas. And then in 2012, another Reddit forum was created dedicated to tulpamancers who were crafting tulpas based on their favorite My Little Pony characters. Ah, yes, the bronies. As one tulpamancer told Vice, The My Little Pony fandom was one of the first online communities to really grab hold of the tulpa phenomenon. Bronies are very accepting of weirdness. They have that mindset of, wow, that's not normal. That's cool. The My Little Pony characters evoke a simple goodness. I mean, what fan wouldn't want one for a friend? Also, is it just me or are the new My Little Ponies sexier than the older version? 
hold on. That didn't come out right. I don't personally think My Little Ponies are sexy. I'm not about to go on Fox News and complain that a cartoon is or isn't fuckable. I'm saying, doesn't the new design seem, I don't know, a little more suggestive than the one from the 80s? It might just be me getting old. These darn kids and their sexy cartoon ponies. For many, Atulpa provides the kind of unconditional love that people on reality shows about dating and marriage say they're looking for in a partner. And you may think it's weird that people conjure up imaginary beings to love them unconditionally, but let me tell you, that's a whole lot healthier than expecting a human partner to love you completely unconditionally. Speaking of partners, and to address the question floating around in some of your heads, do tulpamancers have sex with their tulpas? I'm going to admit that I did not think about that once until I came upon it in the research. Not once did I imagine someone imagining fucking their imaginary companion. Maybe it's because I never saw the 2013 Spike Jones film Her, in which Scarlett Johansson voices Joaquin Phoenix's sentient AI personal assistant that he, of course, has tulpic sex with, but here we are. Most people in the community frown upon bumping uglies with your tulpa, in essence because that being is captive inside your mind and is therefore not completely able to consent, which is a whole other level of inception-type psychology that I honestly can't begin to unravel. But hey, at least they value consent. Though some tulpamancers do admit to knowing their tulpas in the biblical sense. Scoots, one of the three anthropomorphic one-foot-high ponies living inside of Tulpamancer Nick Kingston's head, told Vice magazine that they'd all had sex with each other. Though, to be clear, it didn't sound like Scoots meant they had orgies. I believe they meant that Nick had relations with each of his Tulpas at one point or another. In other words, Nick had sex with each of his imaginary one-foot-high anthropomorphic ponies. Just in case you forgot what we were talking about. Another tulpa interviewed by Vice said this. We totally bang. I guess you're asking about the mechanics of it, right? It's like jerking off, but you mentally disassociate with the actual world and just go nuts in Wonderland. Listen, buddy, whatever gets you off, you do you. I just can't help but imagine a guy leaping around his room, naked with his dick in his hand, like he's in some magical field somewhere with his imaginary buddy. And now you're imagining it, too. You're welcome. I wonder what happens when his mom comes in and is like, Ethan, I have called you down to dinner three times now. What? Oh. Um. Okay. I'll... I'll just let you... Finish. I made a meatloaf. Please lock your door. And then she takes a couple Valium and a bottle of red wine to the bathtub and does her best to disassociate from the real world, too. You can't unsee your teenage son imagining to fuck his Pokemon. What happens when you create a tulpa that won't leave? Like Oguiji, a sinister tulpa who refused to leave its host Coomer for years and attempted to permanently take over his real human body. 
I wish we had more time to cover Oguiji, but we'll have to save the details for a future bonus episode on our Patreon. But seriously, stranger, this tulpa shit is no joke. I'll let Reddit user A Bloated Seal drive it home for you. A warning for any and all potential tulpa dancers. A tulpa might sound like the ideal thing for pretty much everyone, but you do have to think about creating one beforehand. Are you ready to accept the responsibility of creating another person? Are you going to keep going and not just give up after a month? Creating a tulpa isn't something to be taken lightly. They will be with you for the rest of your life. Tulpas are people just like you or me. And if you forget about them or get cold feet and stop, it will essentially kill them. Tulpas are wonderful, and it's not hard to keep them alive and kick it. All they need is a bit of love and attention. You get to a point where you realize that if you didn't have a physical body, you would be just like them. Tulpas are beings who show intelligence as we do, and they show emotion as well. They love, they fear, they hurt, and all oftentimes stronger than their host does. They are creatures of empathy, and you must always remember that. In most cases, Tulpas and their hosts coexist in harmony. They give you the chance to become a better person, and you help them grow as well. In many cases, you become a better person because of it. But you don't have to take a bloated seal's word for it. Another Reddit user named Confield wrote a long tome about losing control of his tulpa. Confield created a tulpa that was an exact replica of himself, though for some reason his tulpa's facial features and limbs were longer probably so that when Netflix options his story, they already have a way of making the good guy look like a bad guy. At first, the tulpa stayed put when Confield wasn't paying attention to it. But then, one day, boom, it was standing just behind him while he was washing his face, just like a good jump scare in a movie. And then it followed him everywhere. He never saw it approach. It would just suddenly be there watching him. It took Confield a month and a half to get rid of his creepy, imaginary, slightly scarier-looking replica of himself, and in that time, the thing tortured him. Confield lost sleep, couldn't eat, and was generally a mess. Confield ended his screenplay pitch, or, I mean, autobiographical story with this. So please, don't mess around with tulpas. I know it's tempting to just try it. The concept intrigued me too at first, but I learned my lesson. Thankfully, before was too late. I'm just thankful I got out so easily and without being harmed. Imagine it, I had given it the ability to interact, then tried to get rid of it. Its last days would have been much more terrifying. So consider this a warning. If you have a mind like mine, you'll make something dark and regret it. A tulpa's mental state relies on its creators. Remember that. Seems to me that the risks that come with tulpas aren't worth it, despite all the fun and games and tiny pony sex. More often than not, tulpas seem to evolve into something more sinister. And it is to that point that I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention Slender Man, probably the most famous tulpa of all time. 
Even if you didn't know he was a tulpa, chances are you've at least heard of Slenderman, the ambiguous fictional figure who was birthed online and caused real havoc out in the real world. But Slenderman is a story unto itself, so I'll be covering him in another full-length episode soon. So, strangers, are tulpas real? Are they magical emanations wrought of our deeper consciousness and cultivated into real beings, like Pinocchio becoming a real boy after learning the lessons of humanity? Or are tulpas just mental manifestations of our unexpressed and unrealized needs, imaginary friends to help us through life or, in some instances, torture us? Does something have to be corporeal to exist in the material world in order to have an impact? Judging from these stories, the answer is no. I guess it doesn't matter if tulpas are real as long as they're real to us. And on that note, Pikachu and I are going to go diddle each other and then take a snooze like a couple of giant cats in my wonderland of napping. Later, strangers. Next time on Strange and Unexplained, Australia's Prime Minister Harold Holt apparently thought his title afforded him some kind of invincibility. He was wrong, we think. Can't get enough Strange and Unexplained? Join us over on Patreon for three bonus episodes a month for just $5. Or for 7 bucks, you get three bonus episodes and all the regular episodes ad-free. Just go to patreon.com slash strangeandunexplained. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, produced by Natalie Grillo and Angela Palladino, researched by Jess McKillop, edited by Eve Kerrigan, and sound engineered and mixed by Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Marquise Vilson, Jordan Kyburnett, and Ryan Garcia. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for a topic we should cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. Find us on Instagram at SNUPod and join our Facebook page to join in the conversation. If you like our show, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. A five-star review and a quick sentence really helps the show out a lot. If you don't like our show, you can leave a terrible review at Apple Podcasts. The name of the podcast is Bannon's War Room. 